Hello, this is Dan Jolin, and I love everything to do with tabletop gaming. So here I am on board Chitless. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Board Chitless. I'm Lecky, and this week I'm joined by Tristan, Jackie, Dave, Sam, awesome. And last week we played Game of Thrones, the board game, second edition from Fantasy Flight Games. And this week we played Middle Earth, the Wizards, collectible the card collectible game. card game. Not as collectible anymore. No, you can't get it for love and money. It's dead. Well, so why? <laughs> <laughs> it came out 20 years ago in the mid 90s and ICE, who made the game, lost the license and it was never continued. And I recently came into a copy of many, many cards of the game and was determined to inflict it on all of you. Um, let's see how we got on then. Shall we talk about that straight away? Now we've like put out a little bit of information. Do you want it or do you want to do it? Mean, do you think we've aroused people's curiosity? Aroused the denizens. Let's do it. Aroused them like those miners. Let's get straight into it then. So it's, um, it's a well-dead collectible card game that Tristan picked up. And it comes with about 15 different sets of homebrew rules, <laughs> half a set of actual rules, a playmat, which is um, kind of optional, but also necessary in order to play it without <laughs> your brain leaking out of your ears. Have I summed it up correctly so far? I like your summary a lot. Um, <laughs> it's So obviously back in the day, it was a lot like Magic the Gathering in terms of its collectability and rarities and uncommons and rares and all that kind of stuff. So I came into a collection of this, of a couple of thousand cards, and have uh, been piecing together the rules over the past couple of weeks to try and get my head around it. Um, the game itself is discontinued, so the community that do continue playing it play a version called the Arda, which is the world of Middle-earth, where you just chuck all the cards in. The idea being, if five people like yourselves and me come to this game and don't have a clue how to build a you know, perfect deck for it, what you do is pool all of the cards into giant stacks, uh, which I've taken ages to sort of balance out and, and get like a, an even number of, you know, baddies and goodies and everything else and you draw from them all at the same time almost like a deck builder so you're all playing with a shared hand and your own hand as well um I, for the life of me couldn't find a video playthrough of someone playing this by the actual rules so every single person that's done a video playthrough of the middle earth uh, the wizards has their own interpretation of the rules or their own solo versions and their own ways of how it plays so basically what i did was cobble together the official rules and a bunch of variants and tried to make the best of it um and what we discovered is it takes a long time to play if you do that. <laughs> I think it would take just as long anyway because there was five of us. If we were playing it by the official uh, regular rules, which is literally where you build a deck and have at it, uh, I did actually prepare that option as well, but we didn't get the chance to play it because the harder version ended up taking all evening. So you're playing as the Wizards, you're playing as the Five Astari, Gandalf, uh, Alatar, Radagast, Radagast, Saruman and... Pa Palinor, Palinor? Um, yeah, Peter, Pal <laughs> <laughs> Senator Palpatine, uh, and so you're going into Middle Earth and you're trying to sort of gather the free peoples and make them fight against corruption and against Sauron and stuff, and try and rewrite the history of Middle Earth. So you don't always just have Gandalf win. Um, so, for, I mean, this speaks to me enormously because it's first of all, it's Middle Earth. The IP is amazing. The number the quantity of cards and the variety of like uh, interactions between the cards is insane um, and we're lucky enough to have access to a huge pool of cards but it was quite obvious that 
over the course of tonight's evening describing the rules and how to play took ages and then actually playing a game we figured out we played two rounds I think three yeah. was, it, was it three or two I think it was two two yeah, because I went to yeah. Forest Hill twice. Yeah. So it might have been better to introduce this as a one-on-one on a less mm. busy evening. Mm. Um, but anyway, that's a rough overview of what the game is. Um, you, I, I did print out the playmat. I've especially bought a playmat that's got all the locations listed for ease of use, so it turns it into more of a board game. And we were travelling around the map having adventures and stuff. Each turn, you send your party of dudes out, Aragorn and all the old favourites and a load of people that are way more obscure than Lord of the Rings. And you go to a site like Moria and play and try and play a, a, a cool, great item like Narsil or uh, the Sword of Gondolin. And then the person on your right clobbers you with a load of baddies from their deck. Um, and each treasure that you win or each faction that you win over or each ally that you get gives you marshalling points. And the object of the game is to get the most marshalling points uh, before... The council, the free council is called. So it's kind of a victory point race disguised as a collectible card game. Okay, yeah. thoughts? Yeah. It it did take a very long time, but I think it was uh, mainly learning time, wasn't it? Like a lot of explaining, trying to work out what to do. We were scratching our heads asking questions. We, the first turn took the longest because we were all doing it very slowly, bit by bit. And then the second turn, we went a bit quicker but it was still quite long. But I think part of that is that, a bit like magic, everyone's attacking the player to their right. So you'll know in your head for your turn that where you want to move and what you want to do when you get there. But then your opponent's sort of caught out by surprise and then has to work out if they've got the monsters to attack you and how they're going to do it. And then you've got to work out what items or spells or um, abilities or events you're going to use to kind of counteract those, which does slow the game down a little bit. But for a 20-year-old game that doesn't officially exist, that's been made from the remnants of an old game, <laughs> I thought it was it was fun. It's very thematic. It's hugely thematic. I think if you can get past the mechanics, um, maybe not for me to speak on this. Sam, what did you think? I think the game seems pretty cool uh, underneath the time constraints. And I think there was so much downtime. Um, it was... I think I was becoming a bit disengaged with what was going on. By the time my turn came around, it's so reactive every turn. So you, you know what you want to do, but then you've got to react to everyone else's. And you have that situation where if you're attacking the person that turn, you draw up a load of cards, and then you've got to figure out, read through all those cards. So the person sat there waiting for you to decide what you're going to do. I think that slows it down a bit more. But I like the meat of the game. I like the whole having the two decks in one sort of... Um, using the stuff from your hand, no one knows what you've got. Uh, it's quite cool that you can play it that way. Um, and you can sort of, if you can't play cards as well, pass it on to the next person. I think that's quite a cool little element. It's went around the table a couple of times when we were playing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think five players, it was just too too big of a game, too much meat um, for us to actually be able to enjoy it properly. Uh, took a bit away from me. And I, but I'd like, to, I'd like to come back to this just as a, a one-on-one. Or, you know, one-on-one-on-one. On one on one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think beyond three players, it, I think I think that would be sort of the uh, the sweet spot, really. Yeah, I think um, I'd say even maybe two players, just like Magic, one versus one. Just And also, like you said, it is a deck-building game. You should have really gone through and 
said, oh, I want this in my deck and this in my... What is the deck hand if you play on your, like, a proper game? Dave. <laughs> <laughs> what's the... Say again, sorry. What's so the, when you make your own decks... Uh, what's the rules kind of thing? Well, what, how many cards are you allowed in your deck? Uh, I think, so it's like a minimum of... I can't remember the top of my head. I think it's about 60. What yeah. It ends up being, you've got half hazards, which is the stuff that you're going to blast on your opponent on their turn, and half resources, which is stuff you're going to play on yourself. A, to respond to events and stuff, and B, to try and score marshalling points. Um, and then you have your characters as well, yeah. which are outside of that. And you build a party at the start of the game, and any characters you have left over get shuffled into your deck. And weirdly, you start out with two minor items as well that you that you can share out amongst your party you have one leader in your party one or two leaders in your party that have like higher influence and mind than the others and they can sort of control the other dudes and you have the wizard that you are whether you're playing as saruman or gandalf or whoever you can have a couple of copies of them shuffled into your deck as well yeah. and you can bring them into play later and they become more powerful and give you more characters there's a lot to explain <laughs> but the, the overview is you're you're, you're playing you're you build your deck as you want it and you're playing your characters, you're traveling around the world, you bring in your items and you're getting hit by the the other player. And I guess with five players, it, it does make it very complex, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it is like, like you said, it's like a magic, the gathering style game, which is basically just most of the time one versus one, isn't it? You know, you take a turn, your opponent takes a turn. And also they added in the element of when having their turn if you have more players, you go around the table saying, can you help out? Can you help out? You know, if I can't play any cards and that also lengthened it because yeah. you end up going around the table again and you have to read all the cards because you're not familiar with them. This is a new game to us. But I did get a little taste of, you know, if you did make a deck, um, when Lecky uh, went to a certain area, I had a card specifically was for a wilderness, wilderness ruin. Yeah. That, that brought out a dragon which wouldn't have been able to bring out at all because it was for a certain area. So I had a combo there in hand that made me also have an extra card that turn because it basically replaced it. And so, so I could see the potential, you know, that it's like, oh, you could use that, you could combo it if it came up. Um, so, yeah, it's like, it's like a little mix of combos and things if you're lucky, but I don't think it happens quite often in this version because you have so many cards coming out yeah. all the time. Yeah, it was super thematic because I literally just made a beeline north to pick up Glamdring and you just completely cut me off with that dragon. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> it nearly, well, it did kill. It killed somebody. It killed Philly or... Was it yeah, yeah. It, it took... Oh, it took out um, Enoir, my, uh, my elf. Yeah, elf, yeah. Bless, bless. Um, <laughs> but it is, is so... Is this version of the game that we played then, is that based on official rules from back in the day that have been worked upon or is it just been made up with the collectible card game components oh no it's still it's still the same rules uh, but it's the way that you play it so the difference is if you play the regular collectible card game you build your own deck before you start and you bring it along and then you just play against each other with the, with the harder rules you're all drawing from the same pool of cards so um so you don't so you do the deck building as you go kind of thing and you all have the same chance of drawing a bad run of cards or a good run of cards and I tried to sort of mix it all up so everyone's got an even chance and I think it kind of worked because there was no there was very few turns where someone moved somewhere and you couldn't play anything against them and if that happened as we said you could pass it on to the next player and they have a chance at smacking them down as well and I think it led to some interesting situations I've never seen a dragon played before which is what Jackie was just talking about 
We also had an abductor come out and kill one of Sam's main dudes. Um, and, <laughs> and we had people succumb to corruption, which is a nice sort of rule as well. If you gather too much, too many items, um, although it wasn't even too many. I think it was Dave. Didn't you have someone fall to corruption right at the end of the game? Uh, needed to roll a three or a two on two dice, and that happened. Uh, <laughs> so I think it's, I think it's not, it's not a game you're going to take seriously. It's not balanced at all. You, you you're literally just going to. Th- sit around the table, throw the cards out and just see what kind of stories develop, which is cool anyway. Like you don't it's not gonna be a competitive game. I feel like the one on one could be. If you're gonna create a deck, there are like stuff that you can combo off like Jackie was saying. You're gonna build decks specifically for certain things. Um but the design's so old, I don't know, I don't think I don't think that'd be great. I think if I was gonna play it again, which I, I would do, um it would be the harder version. But I think Going back to what Jackie said, it'd just be sort of a one-on-one. I think it's too long waiting for other people's turns. You're not engaged. There is that going around the table a little bit, but yeah. not really. Because well, that's where I thought three might be okay. Because then you get the the follow one. If you can't play something, there's at least yeah. one other person to back you up. And there's some cards that you can play on out of turn sequence as well. Mm. So allow those to be used if you had the three players. But I mean, two turns in three hours. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't wasn't wonderful. Nobody got time for that. (laughs) Well, we did. We we literally just did. But that just reflects on us, doesn't it, Sam? (laughs) I didn't say I was proud of it. We we didn't have time for it, though. We had to call the council when everyone was on like nine points instead of 18. Um, Or 25. If you're playing as the big game. Or a full game of 25. I I, I was probably... Uh, I was misremembering from my youth playing Magic the Gathering with five players and like 100 life points each. But I think in those days when we were teenagers, we had the time to just sit and play it forever. And it's a completely different situation when you grow born into like a three or four hour game night. And as well, can we just talk about the artwork for a minute? Because <laughs> like, I'm no artist, so maybe I don't have a leg to stand on, but it is... I mean, it's not very good, is it? It, it's, it reminds, it's very 90s. It reminds me of the Lord of the Rings animated movie. Yes. Do you remember? Yeah. I feel like that's, yeah. what, they've, I feel like that's what they've gone for. I saw the Aragorn um, card before, and that's just right out of that cartoon. Like, it's, oh, no, it's, not, it's not for me. But I can, I think this was like, because it was ICE, wasn't it? It was ICE, and didn't they, was it Decipher who did the, the one with the stills? What did, you, what, did, what did ICE go on to do? Who knows? But they, but they probably had better artwork, didn't it? Yeah, in fairness, you said it. You said the old looks like it's from the nineties, but this game was from the nineties. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that it's anyone's fault. Obviously, they couldn't afford to, to go into the future to get better art. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a mixed bag. Some of the art is absolutely shocking, and some of it's really good. I There's, saw a really good one. Yeah. Actually. And there's, there's some of like some of it looks like it came out of like the old school um, storybooks. Like so that, that one's really good. Wizards River Horses, beautiful. And then we look at Halfling Stealth, and it's just it just looks like that. Yeah, you have to remember this you is can't see it, <laughs> this is be, this is before the days of like digital art, so Photoshop, the, and things like that. So you can't get the lighting. The two like, of the how people, it's meant to look, in, you know. Yeah, the two of the people in the world that own this game, you can now look up those two and see if your opinion matches. If it does. Then please go into the budgetless Facebook group and <laughs> let us know if you agree. Um, also, there is 
again, like this in a 20 year old game here, but um, there was a few bits where the flavor text and the artwork just didn't match each other at all. So <laughs> Bjorn is described in the book as having like, you know, dark hair and they've used that for the flavor text. But then the artist has given him like a ginger beard. The, the text in general's like nineties text. Like there's so much text on these cars. Like now, now these days you've got like graphical design and keywords. I mean, there's keywords in this, but they're all over the place. Um, they've used a lot of shorthand stuff on these on these cars, and it's just it's not particularly readable. I think you can see where game de- game design used to be. And where it is now, some um, of it literally wasn't real. There was that much text on there. Yeah. It's all it's all longhand. So um, like abilities and influence and things are described on the card, like the amount of um, influence they've got. That's all kind of done in um, symbols. But then when you get to actual card effects, then it's literally just written out. Like if you're fighting an elf, if you have a certain amount of might or whatever, and you could have just added more symbols. But I suppose, like, you know, expectations might have been a bit lower or it could be easier with games like Magic. I suppose um, it, didn't, it didn't have anything to build from, though, or not much to build from to learn that. Yeah. Like, we've got now, we've learned oh. that that doesn't work. So, yeah. We've got, like, the modern games use a lot more icon- iconography because, yeah. because of that exact reason. And you get about 500 words of um, card abilities. And then they'll cram in 200 words of flavor text right after it. <laughs> <laughs> in the tiniest font you can imagine. So there's a lot. There's a lot to complain about, but at the same time, as a, as a game experience, it was it was quite a lot of fun. Um, I've not played War of the Ring or anything like that, so I don't know if we could get a comparable. I think it'd probably be more fun to play War of the Ring. I've only, I've only played it sort of half a game with Tristan, and it was it was brilliant. I, I would play that any time with anyone. But. I've not played a full game, so it might be rubbish. I don't know. So, so if anyone wants to come and play with Dave, <laughs> get in contact at <laughs> Board Chitless. It is, it is a great example, though, of a, you know, a, a dead game being kept un- alive kept, kept dead. By, by the community. <laughs> yeah. But like, there's, there's a lot of effort. Like The person that created this Neoprene playmat or that created this map to be printed out, did, like, Tristan, did you have to go and get this printed professionally? Or did you buy it? Yeah, I, I paid for the... Uh, playmat to be printed especially but the the geeks on like board game geek and stuff and and the guys in the different communities that are still keeping it going have loads of uh reference sheets and there's this is one option for the map there's another one that somebody's done which has different symbols again tells you what kind of um items can be played at different locations and what monsters are at those locations and stuff so there's tons of resources out there. There's almost too many. And because there's so many different ways to play it and so many different interpretations of it, you really have to kind of um, hone down like how you're going to do it. I almost feel like if I had the time, I would write a blog on how I learned this game, how I how how to play it, um, and the different versions available because there are so many. There are so many different options, but I do think the one that we played tonight. I know it was a struggle; it took ages and everything. But I think it's kind of like the best of what's out there. Um, and I played it solo a couple of times. I played the original version solo, um, which is like two decks against each other. The two starter decks that that came out where um, the guys at ICE said, this is how to play it. So I played that through um, to play it officially kind of thing. Um, And I definitely see that this has more fun and more variety, more accessibility. It really excites me. And I could be completely skew off on this because like you know i've come into possession of it and i spent ages researching it but it excites me to see 
how other Lord of the Rings games have developed from it, like the Living Card game, which has drawn so much from this. But I definitely see what Dave's saying about like some archaic mechanics in here, like rolling dice to resolve the checks on the cards. Two layers of randomness, isn't it? Which is kind of in a competitive... I mean, this was designed as a tournament sort of game, wasn't it? Like Magic the Gathering, and that's two layers. You've got your card drawer and then your dice. It's like tournaments, especially, have moved quite far away from that now because you might as well just... It's quite arbitrary. It could be quite arbitrary. RNG. Yeah, which is fine when you're just sort of wondering about playing the harder version, just seeing what sort of little bits come up, like Pippin just will not die. That's, <laughs> like, that's fine because it's a little story, but in a in a one versus one, I can see how it could be quite frustrating. Yeah, and then the main motivation behind you going out into the world is fetch and collect, isn't it? Yeah. Go to this location, get an item, potentially move it on somewhere else for a few more points. Um, I'm really glad that we played it when it arrived at your house. I was like really intrigued to like look at it, like a load of the cards. Some of the um, some of the cards have like full on sagas assigned to them, and it'd be great to like get involved, play a game when we have do have more time to just get knee deep in it and see what what else it kind of holds. Yeah, I think Tristan touched on that briefly as you we explaining the game to us, where if you if you end up with the one ring, which is quite hard to get as it is. And then you go to Mordor and you survive and you drop the one ring in there, you win the game, basically. So there's little little homages to the book in a little side quest. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a few things like that. And also if you bring your wizard if you do bring your actual wizard into play and he dies, you instantly lose the game. And you can get like mega points from achieving missions like that, like reforging the shards of Narsil and stuff. There's loads of kind of thematic side quest things that can happen in the game that are really thematic and really evoke the game but to get to that especially if you were playing the original version you'd kind of you'd have to build your deck around a one ring strategy you know it would be like having a specific type of deck in magic the gathering you would have to have um wizard cards that allow you to test rings you'd have to have ring cards that you can bring in you'd have to obviously have the one ring card in your deck as well with this luckily we we have all that and it is a possibility but it's it's very unlikely that it would come up and that you would get that combo. But it is something you could potentially work towards. And there are cards you can play that increase the chances of you finding the one ring. So you'd have to sort of steadily work your way towards it. But certainly in the harder version, I think it would be much more difficult to pull off for the sake of having more variety of encounters and monsters and things like that. Well, me and Dave both saw the Farsight card, which allowed you to go through the item deck and take a... Uh, yeah. Item of your choice. Be able to, yeah. So there are, it is possible through this. And that, that card came out twice mm. in what? We just didn't know how to use <laughs> it, so we discarded it. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know what we were looking for. I think that's, you know, it can be expected when you're playing like, you know, we're like board game historians playing ELD board games <laughs> in the way we think they should have been played. If we were right or wrong, you know, we had a bit of fun doing it. Um, if you know anyone that might have this hidden away in a cardboard box or they said, oh, you know, I've got this Lord of the Rings game that, you know, it's dead old. Give it a go. See what you think. Let us know. Uh, the, the chances of getting any comments on social media based on this game are likely to be low unless it's the person that sent you the game. Just <laughs> well, you might be right there. It might be zero interest to anybody, but I think it was a, a great thought experiment, like you say, in yeah. terms of the history of board games where, like... Uh, games have come from and how far they've come along and how this compares to Magic the Gathering. Uh, it also, for me, was great to be able to introduce it to you guys. I knew it was probably too ambitious for us all to like just whip through a game in one evening, but I'd love to pick this up again on a like two-player or you know three-player game at some point. Agreed. And it also poses the possibility that 
if this is playable, we should give Magic Realm a go at some point. I don't want to come in to tie myself into another evening of <laughs> like four hours for two turns. <laughs> yeah, you get one turn in Magic Realm. Well, that was it. That was um, Middle Earth, The Wizards, the collectible card game. Last week, we, um, we all went into a drafty cave and huddled around a map of Westeros and decided that we were going to throw down and fight out between us who is going to be the uh the ruler of the seven kingdoms um daz unfortunately didn't survive <laughs> he was with us last week but then you know he couldn't make it this week it's probably the heartbreak so, sorry does being attacked from all sides by all of us <laughs> the in- inevitable betrayal yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we were playing um snap <laughs> <laughs> we we're playing ffg's game of thrones the board game second edition with expansions, oh, but not including the expansions. We have, they were available, but we chose not to play with them. And we had a, a great, great fun time. I won, which is the important thing. Um, <laughs> if, yeah, if you've not played it, it's an area control game. There's like slight Euro-esque abilities where you can decide by throwing down tokens what abilities you're going to use that turn. You get to use an ability per sort of region. And it's great fun. You get to sort of create allegiances. You're not allowed to trade any sort of resources, um, but you can promise to support people and then just completely renege on that and take over their cities. What did we, what did we think? It was long. <laughs> it was very long. That's probably the biggest bugbear of the game historically, isn't it? I think the first expansion, I think that was the first thing they did was just decrease the time of the game. Yeah. I think like it is a long game. I think we did all right, actually. I think I've heard people get us like six, seven hours. Really? Mm. It, it felt a bit like Monopoly. Like um, you sort of know who's going to win long before it happens. And if enough of you kind of get together and try oh, and I stop it, it might happen. But it was, it's like, it seemed like half the game was um, me and Tristan kind of like hovering around five, six and seven castles. So you need, you need to take over seven sort of strongholds in order to win the game. And we were just kind of like flitting in between them and then occasionally like Sam would take over a castle and then have it taken away. (laughs) I didn't keep hold of them very well. Um, Dave had a bad experience though. Let me tell you about (laughs) my experience with Game of Thrones. Do you know what? It it was a bad, like I'm not going to lie. It was a pretty bad game. Tristan basically (laughs) took Lannisport turn two, beginning of turn two. Why did he take it? It was my fault. I left it open. Um, But but what happened is for the next four hours, I was sat there placing basically one order token per turn. And it was always the same order token because what else could I do? Um, So it was a bad time. But having said that, I still had quite a good time overall, I would say, watching everything else. Yeah. I knew I'd lost straight away, and I was just trying to stop Tristan, but th- there was no way I could build anything up. So I was kind of a thorn in his side, but I think it was kind of irrelevant in the end. Yeah, I should mention um, uh, Tristan was the Greyjoys. Yeah, Tristan was Greyjoy. I was Lannister, um, and I just left the, the, the castle open, and he just came across the sea and took it, which was uh, bad news. So, so yeah, but um, it, it was quite fun sort of watching everything else unfold you could see lecky sort of creeping down the eastern side of the map and nobody was really i said from the very beginning i said look at lecky i said look what lecky's doing look at all them it was men a- he's got and no one paid attention instead it was tristan and dave bickering over that tiny corner of the map um 
I was in the other corner, I was Dawn, and Sam was the Tyrells, and Daz was the Baratheons. Yep. And I was um, the Starks. And so I was just attacking Daz because he was right next to me. Sam was too busy being a pacifist. I say that in quotation marks. Um, <laughs> moving towards King's Landing. Uh, so I came in behind him, even though I said I wouldn't, and started taking his castles. So it was a lot of fun. Just like mess- We were like playing the game, basically. Me, Sam, and Daz. And Lecky, Tristan and Dave just uh, had a bickering match well, well, in the Tristan corner. Well, Tristan was playing the game. Tristan was dealing with me. He was diverting some resources towards me, but he was still <laughs> playing the game. That's how little effect I was having because I had one army. I couldn't muster anymore. Uh, and, and basically, it, it was just me and Tristan going over Lannisport. He'd move in. I'd take it back. He'd move in again. But that would only cost him like one action per turn. The rest of it, he was off capturing castles and... Harassing Lecky. I, I still hold Daz responsible for Lecky winning the game. Well, it was probably the introduction of the hard border between the um, <laughs> between the Starks and the Greyjoys. Uh, we kind of had one turn of like full on aggression between each other. It cost us both a lot, and we decided we'll just support our troops from this point and then move south. <laughs> it was it was the point where you said. Okay, Daz, I won't attack you. And we're all like, well, you're building up all your forces right next to his doorstep. Dad was like. Okay, yeah, just carry on. Ignored you completely, and then you just walked through his castles. He, he, was, he was right. He was right to deny your um, Baratheon propaganda. And I, in my defence, I was like acting hand of the king unofficially, and I was just making sure that he you murdered was him. Safe. Only after you'd wiped out King's Landing. I was I, just no, I up. moved in there to to protect him. King's Landing was exposed after you came marching down the east coast. Yeah, but you know. God save the king. Muck flinging aside, it was it was fun. Um, there's a lot of there's not so there's there's a couple of options. So you can march to move troops around. You can um, sort of consolidate power. Mm-hmm. Um, you can raid sort of raid, um, which will just cancel someone else's march order. Con- or raid. Not the march, the consolidate. Oh, okay, the consolidate, consolidate. Sorry. And then you can muster. So if you've got a certain amount of influence on an influence track, here's um, special tokens that you can use, which will just give you an extra ability. So instead of um, consolidating, you can muster um, and you can do various other things, which is quite nice, uh, which meant that you always had sort of skin in the game when it came to um, bidding for places on victory tracks, which uh, just mixed it up a little bit. And the cards for the fights were quite cool as well. They changed yes. the fights every single time. One of my friends was talking to him about this and he, he said he doesn't like it because it's too deterministic. You can kind of guess who's going to win a combat, which on the one hand, I kind of agree with, but on the other hand, like there is, it does put strategy in there. Like, do you tank a combat and save a higher power card? I think it, it would come more into it if you knew all the sort of abilities of the cards of your opponents because each house has got completely different, in some cases, cards. And there's also... It, it, you know, if it is a problem, there's a little deck of cards that mixes the combat up, makes it slightly more random, uh, causes more death. Yeah, I think knowing that everybody's cards will help because when you play the card, you have to put it down for everyone to see so everyone knows which card you played and what power it was. So then you can sort of say, well, I know he's still got, you know, a certain character in there that is quite powerful. Yeah. You can do this. So I, I don't I want to counteract against that. So if knowing the game a bit better than we did probably would have, made it a lot more strategic but we were just kind of it was our first go so we were just sort of threw ourselves into it and and uh try to be as close to our characters as uh, like yeah. our countries i guess as we were we weren't very well we weren't very yeah. good at it 
basically. We did yeah. have to keep an eye on each other in terms of like accidental cheating. So there's a, mm. a resource mechanic where there's, you're allowed a certain amount of um, units bunched together in one area of the map. Um, if you've not got many resources to supply your army, so it's the supply mechanic, then you're allowed like three tokens in one area, two in another, and then pretty much one in the other places. As that builds up, you can get bigger armies in more places. Um, but if you drop down on that scale due to a turn, it wasn't always obvious that you'd missed it. Or you might have um, two ships in a sea zone and then another one in port, but then you'd move it out of port and then all of a sudden you've got an army of three where it's technically illegal. And it was quite easy to kind of do these actions or like add an extra um, footman with two knights and knock them over the top. And then as long as someone was kind of like just keeping an eye on saying, oh, actually, can you do that? And it's like, oh, yeah, no, moving back. Uh, it could kind of spoil the game if you've got too many resources hanging around where they shouldn't be because obviously it's a bigger threat than you're actually allowed to have. Yeah. So yeah. it was just, I found that during gameplay, um, you just had to kind of just keep on top of it. That was, that was one thing I liked was the limitations on the armies because I think I kind of have to draw a bit of a comparison with the risk where you if you play Risk or have played Risk, yeah. you can just get someone who will just shove 50 units in one area and then just march through everything. Whereas this, because you're limited by your supply on the size of your armies, you could never have anything bigger than, I think four was the biggest you could have. Yeah, if you got all the way four up the Four units. And that, it could be four siege engines. It could, it could be four siege engines. So they're like leveled up men. But it would always limit. So you, you'd never become too OP'd in any, any fight. There was always a chance you could survive it. Um, it didn't get like ridiculous at any point and i think it was quite good that supply that the idea of the supply to say this is all you can afford yeah. to have at any time i quite like that but then you can just uh, be quite clever with your support tokens so if you have um, units adjacent to other units geographically on the map they could support so they add their own um, power to the units that are aggressing yeah you could also be tactical and cut off another like person's supply as well you could just take one of their places and then that was it they were stranded and then in the middle and couldn't really yeah get any more men the um the map movement was quite fluid so territories would be in like overrun and retaken quite often in the combat when you're defeated they usually retreat unless a special ability is used in which case a couple of uh, soldiers will die in which case they go back into your pool and then you have to like muster them again so like the general game state seemed very fluid and so did the amount of resources available and who was sort of like seemed appeared to be on top did keep shifting. It was like I was in the lead or Tristan was in the lead. At one point, I think Sam might have just like crept in there. I doubt it. I think it had, at one point, like most of the southern part of the map was green and it was like a very sort of like conga line. Hunting like. flowers and <laughs> <laughs> making daisy chains. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> Luckily, I kept her in check. <laughs> um, is there any sort of like uh, grumbles about the game or grapes? Uh, I was just going to say, I think we talked before about older games and how they hold yeah. up and stuff. Um, I, I always have a lot of fun with this. We've played it twice now, I think. Um, and I remember really enjoying it last time as the Starks. And even though I didn't win, I made like a, you know, it felt like I was making good headway. And it was, I think the Starks maybe, you were Starks, like a yeah. yeah so you're up in the north, you're kind of untouched. It's, it takes a while to sort of worm your way down into the, the rest of the conflict, um, especially when there's like six players. So there was a lot happening from the outset further south. Certainly me and Dave obviously went to war straight away and that was it for the rest of the game. We were locked in, completely tied up with each other's resources. But um, 
down in the south, you three guys were all having Sam, Jackie, and Daz were all having their own wars as well, and it it always feels good. It always feels like you're making progress. It always feels like you're completely hard done by whatever your situation is, and it does have the uh, effect of the less you have and the worse you do, the worse you do and the less you have. So, for example, with Dave and me battling from the outset, it wasn't it wasn't uh, a completely decided thing straight away. There was a lot of back and forth before your guys started dwindling. And then by the end of the game, I think you had three dudes in one region sort of thing. So it was, even though other people were sort of expanding outwards, uh, as you were losing stuff, you were losing more stuff. Mm. And I could feel your frustration, Mm. you know, even though I was like, yeah, I'm taking out your territory. I could feel like, Actually, you know, the the way that modern games work now, we, we've been playing Tyranny of the Underdark. And that has this cool thing where even if you're losing territory, you can be building your deck or you can be gaining VPs from killing other guys. And there's a, you're always in the game right till the end. Whereas with Game of Thrones, I think, um, it, you know, if you start falling behind, you're going to keep falling behind and you have to really pull a blinder to pull it back. And I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I I've personally really enjoyed it, even though I knew I wasn't going to win because I was kind of hemmed in on all sides. Um, just making progress and building the empire and, and seeing the sort of grey joys grow still felt like fun and it still felt like I was doing fun stuff. And th- for every sort of instance where I felt like, oh, I don't have any influence, I don't have the Iron Throne or I don't have, you know, some cool thing that everybody else has done. You Like, I think, is it something like three out of four of the kingdoms can can muster when yeah. other people can't mm. not having that felt huge because it was like wow every turn these guys are getting new dudes coming in and then they're also deciding that nobody else gets any reinforcements you know and that felt like a huge thing to overcome but i think part of the fun of the game is trying to overcome those challenges and and use what you've got to 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 make something happen so for example i was like i'll be really strong with the sea because the greyjoys are all about the sea at the start and then neglected that um, later on in the game, which is what Lecky used yeah, yeah. to completely kneecap me and stop me from making any headway at the end by attacking the ports and stuff. And I think everybody else had that sort of same, they had a cool thing to build on. And if you didn't like capitalise on that, everybody else would screw you over ASAP kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so there's some data mechanics in there, but I think overall a lot of strategy, a lot of fun and a lot of uh, interesting decisions to be made in laying down your tokens, where you're going to move, what actions you're going to take. Um, yeah, I've really got a lot of time for this game, and I, I play it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, there's also the wildlings um, section of the game where yeah. there's three cards are drawn, and it decides whether the wildlings sort of attack. So you needed power shared, share the power basically. Your power, like pool, which is what you get if you have certain territories, you can gain power every round. You had to share it out and sort of bid. To say, oh, the wildlings, if they do attack, there's a card there. Could if One of you could read it if you had the raven, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So you could say, oh, this card's really bad. Or you could lie, you know, and sort of say, it's it's all right. And uh, then you have to bid in power to see if the wildlings attacked. And if they did, it could be really bad, depending on this card. And again, with the Iron Throne, if you had the Iron Throne, you could really screw people over. If you're playing like a house that is not doing so well at the time. You're like, don't be disheartened because there is stuff you can still do. Like your character cards can really 
mess up someone's turn and things. So don't be thinking, oh, you know, I'm not doing so well. I might as well just do whatever. Just keep yeah. on. Unless you're Lannister and you've lost Lannisport because it was literally nothing. You didn't lose do. it. You gave it up. That's that's <laughs> technically true, yeah. And I would say this probably there's people out there that wouldn't like this game. There is things that you can do that can really sort of ruin someone's day. <laughs> can, so, you, can you tell? So yeah, but but I think <laughs> I still enjoyed it though. Like I would I would like I'm not Tristan, I would play it again like whenever. Yeah. But I think there are people out there that would just well, be like one, like one of the things that I liked, which I think was part of the problem with where you two bickering from the start was the intensity of the number of castles or strongholds right in the centre of the map. Mm. So there was a lot right there, whereas Jackie's door and me as Tyrell's down at the bottom. There was a few spread out really far, so we had to travel a long way, sort of spreading yeah, thin but, our resources to get to these castles. What, you're getting stuff as you're moving? Oh, no, but yeah. I, I realised I'd spent... I spent a lot of resources getting, like, supplies. Mm. So I could have all these big armies, but I didn't have any units to put down. So it, it was redundant, whereas... I had to get to that middle point. So I had to join the fight even later on to be able to start getting more castles to have a chance. So we were scrapping at the bottom over the, the ruins, basically. Whilst you were all had, I think there was about six castles right in the middle, as well as your home one. Is That'd be all seven if you could just get that centerpiece. So that's where the fighting is always going to take place. I think because yeah. you started there, you're right in the middle of it from the start. We're more, got time to just slowly, gradually start doing stuff, but... We're behind by the time we get there. It's just poor logistics, really, from the, the armies down south. Speaking from the Stark's point of view, you've got the whole run of the north of the map, but there's only two strongholds there. Well, yeah, so you have to again, come south. Again, like you, obviously, you won, but it took you a long time before you started fighting. It took, it took forever, but I was, was constantly mustering you to try and build up forces. Vale, didn't you? You, you, the Vale was lucky land, wasn't it? Nobody opposed that, because we were all too busy. Me and Tristan were too busy fighting each other. Oh. And... Uh, Dawn, Dawn was attacking Baratheon slightly and then backing off. It was a bit weird over there. I don't know what well, was going on. Because Leckie was coming down from the north and he was whispering in Daz's ear going, oh, it's all right, Daz. I'm, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to attack, going to attack Tristan. And Daz believed him while I was attacking Daz. And then Daz started, his forces started dwindling as Leckie was like decided to turn, turn coat. You know, it's very one-sided <laughs> point of view there. Yeah, Daz isn't even here to defend himself. Yeah, yeah I mean... His forces were dwindling because you were destroying them from the south. I was well. I didn't do a very good job yeah. <laughs> because then Daz, I said to Daz, "Oh, well, I'll help you out, Daz." And so I, then I started helping Daz or it trying. Me, <laughs> yeah. So I started taking Sam's land instead because I saw a bit more of an opportunity down there than I did up in the north. And Sam was moving across towards, yeah, uh, you know, King's Landing. So. I turned a turncoat there as well. I was like, oh, Sam, I'll, you know, I'll just take your castle. So you can have a lot of fun with that. You really can. I was the only honest one in that whole game. I kept to my promises until I got stabbed in the back. I won't attack you, Dave. I'll give you a lot of space. I gave you the space. Jackie, I won't attack you until you started attacking me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I was honest. <laughs> it is cool, actually, how even though you're not directly in conflict with everybody, because logistically you can't be you know, fighting five wars at once, but other people can have a massive impact on your game from miles away. So if Leckie's approaching from the top and he's got um, like the Greyjoys and the Baratheons and the Lannisters all in the middle, we can be chipping away at the others from the, so it diverts your forces all the time. Yeah. So that actually affects what Lucky's doing because we're drawing his forces away, which opens stuff up at the end. So it's like, yeah. do we hold off so they can reinforce that? And so it all does affect each other. I think the boats are huge 
Boatsy's what won it. Um, Boatsy's? Yeah, well, it's an area control game, but when you look at the board, it's not like hexes, and then whoever's got the most hexes wins, or whoever's got like a load of hexes and the big hex in the middle. It's really unevenly distributed. There's small chunks with like loads of castles. There's big wide swathes where there's like nothing. And then there's these little like sort of, you know, bottlenecks of water all around and there's bottlenecks on channel islands and rivers blocking people. And there's very key strategic points. Uh, one of them was um, that with the land joins from, uh, from the north to the south across that river. I can't remember what they are on the board. I've not got it to hand. But it's like, it's like a key point and Tristan just occupied it the whole time and the second half of the game was us just fighting over it and in the end he had to build a ship and go around it in order to circumvent it um Daz had all his ships between King's Landing and um the Baratheon homeland and then the surrounding waters so that kind of just stopped me from getting through and I think not wanting to speak for him but I think if he'd moved ships south to try and deal with Jackie a bit more easily when she was attacking him. That would have opened it up for me, so I could see why he didn't really move them. Well, but he, it also he was you. also using them as supplies. So every time we were attacking him, he was using those ships as yeah, supports. Support. Sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, that as well. But he was using them as supports in every fight, so they yeah. were throwing in extra. It's brilliant. Uh, I think you uh, could play it like six different times, once as each faction, or eight different times with the expansions, and um, have eight completely different problems. I think you could play the same faction twice and have completely different experiences just depending on who's on either side of you. Um, and how you choose to play. But but looking at the board, like that's not when I first saw it, that's not the impression that I got. Like, but I, but having played it, I think that's probably true. I think the replayability is definitely there. Even before you add in like the expansion objectives that change everything up, and I think Fantasy Flight brought a new expansion out only a year ago. So it's quite a modern expansion. It adds like the Targaryens and. Uh, I think the Arons as well, but they're already in it from a previous expansion. Uh, but it adds like Essos. Has like Essos goes next to Westeros. Crazy. I'd really like to play it again, especially as a different faction. Like I'd love to like play as Dawn, just to see how the puzzle changes and how you would break out from down south and how you would manage the people around you. Because that's one thing that Starks didn't really do in our game was negotiate because. There was a standoff of Tristan, but that's all it really was. And yes, I was promising Daz I wouldn't attack him, but we all knew the piece wasn't going to We all accept for Daz. Yeah. <laughs> Daz hasn't played this sort of game with you before, has he? So <laughs> probably wasn't. He doesn't know that evil lacking. Again, not wanting to speak for his better nature, but I think he literally, he, he thought maybe that if he attacks me, that's it. He's fighting a war on like four sides then. He'd rather keep it on three sides and see what happens. And Sam had done most of the damage before I could actually get to King's oh, Landing anyway. Oh, don't me for that. I'm not blaming you, I'm just saying, I'm yeah. just saying. Problem is, you know, King's Landing is a big, massive target because it has two castles. No, is it's, got, two? it's got two, if you consolidate power there, That's it, it gives you more power. It's That's got two it. crowns. So it's a big but... powerhouse, basically. Mm. So everybody wants to go for King's Landing. It's, it's thematically where you want to be taken, isn't it? Yeah, because it's King's Landing, yeah. And so you just, I was right next to it and it was the first place I went for basically as dawn um so that tied me up a little bit and it was a bit too much for me to take on but you know i thought well why not yeah it's nice um nice mechanic with siege engines so footmen are worth like one unit um knights were worth two units but then if you've got a siege engine it's worth four but only for attacking cities so once you've taken that city then it's a, it's a glass cannon it's not going to defend at all it's only worth one unit so then you have to bring in units from else where else around the map or work out another way to consolidate your power so it's like you just say cities would fall and then you'd be taken over straight away. They're taken over again. 
and it was just constantly shifting. I really enjoyed it. And there was like so much, like you can tell from the podcast tonight, just so many lies being thrown around from <laughs> Sam and Jackie. Yeah. Me and this Daz, about yeah. me. I've heard this game is a friendship breaker. <laughs> the very first time I heard about this game was one of my friends that I used to play with. Uh, and he said he went round to his friend's house, played this, um, got knocked out of the game within 30 minutes and was just sat on the couch for six hours while they all finished. He said he's never playing another board game again. <laughs> yeah. I if it was Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> especially winners Lannister in the first game we played yeah but that was the expansion uh, Feast for Crows and I think they're in a much stronger start I think somebody said Lannister's a bit uh, hemmed in there and the expansion changed it and gave them a bit more of an advantage I can, I can see why I mean as an area control game it's, it is good fun but the real fun comes out in the relationship between you and your mates and you just shouting at each other and making false promises and there's so many games now that since this game was released have distilled that down. So you've got things like Secret Hitler, Resistance, Resistance Avalon. Games where the whole point of the playing is you just shouting as loud as you can or coming out with as many different white lies as possible to try and convince people that you are or aren't. I'd love to play some expansion content as well. Um, now that we've got all the most of the base game rules down, um, it'll be good to see what different... Because like, it does throw up different scenarios like people start with King's Landing or other stuff some of the objectives are like you've got to take the veil so rather than just take seven castles wherever you like it might be like go and take the veil or take the north or whatever whatever lots of betrayal and shouting and just generally being upset at the situation you're in or the people that put you in that situation or the people that stopped you from winning and 90 minutes has passed and now you're going to go to drive home get shouted at for being so late <laughs> Oh, it's brilliant. Let's crack it out now, but play the short version. I think a Saturday next time. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's an after game. It's one of the games where you read the side of the box that says, oh, it can be played within four hours. And you say, no, mm. this is going to take two days and I'm going to love it because of it. Just clear your schedule. Six players. You probably knock out a four player game in four hours. Although we did it in four and a half hours. It went too bad, was it? What was it like? Midnight? Yeah, yeah. It the was next day. It, Sam didn't show up till eight o'clock. <laughs> very good Physically, point. I was here. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it. Yeah, I suppose it didn't take too long when you when you look at it that way. It just felt like it did. It did. It outstayed its welcome yeah. very much. So it was like it. We felt like it, at some point it got to some sort of conclusion, yeah. just like this podcast. Like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we just wouldn't let it, it die. It just needed a catch-up mechanic. That's what it needed. <laughs> Well, there we go. Um, we'll be back next week with more discussion about more games. If we play, hopefully we'll play something that's a bit more recent and quicker to play. We've had two, two long games, haven't we? Two weeks of two long games. So we'll try and speed it up a bit with maybe some like a Munchkin IP or Love Letter. <laughs> yeah. Some tiny bring, epic games. I'll bring some sweet party games over we? Past the pigs. Just a warning for any um, Gloom of Killfall fans out there. Uh, latest game in the franchise Shadows of Killforth will be going live on Kickstarter in March is that correct Tristan hopefully yeah nice plug Lecky yes we're launching um, in March so um, it's February tomorrow yeah. so yes. we're gonna now. we're gonna <laughs> now from from now 20 minutes into February so we're gonna we'll be running an ad campaign on BGG throughout February to drum up some interest uh, we've already taken pre-orders for Shadows of Killforth. Uh, pretty much all the art's done, the design's 99% done, and it's ready to go, so dead excited about launching that. Fantastic. So cancel that expensive birthday gift or anniversary present. 
you know you're buying instead. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if all the kind listeners could uh, make their way to iTunes and leave us a review or a comment on SoundCloud, that'll be absolutely lovely. Uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks very much and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.